Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And welcome to Your Wrestling Questions Answered. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dally Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick, here to answer your burning wrestling questions. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts where we review Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT 2 AW Dynamite, AW Rampage, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a bloody quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, they're joined by Hamlet this week to answer your burning wrestling questions that I sent out on Twitter earlier on today. I'm at Adam Wilborn. He is at Michael Hamlet. He is at M Sidgwick. We're all at What Culture WWE. At Sidgwick, let's dive straight into it because I know this is a question we uh, alluded to on the Dynamite review. It comes from Nath, who says, "How do AEW best utilize Renee Paquette? Not as an interchangeable interviewer whose questions mean nothing and the responses." mean nothing because those responses are interrupted and it's just this pathetically contrived facilitator of usually dross undercard angles about which no one would no one would begin to care about anyway and it's not helped remotely by the way in which these are framed whenever I see a backstage interview in Dynamite go on my phone that's the challenge that every single bit of media unless it's a game where you are playing it with your hands if it's on the telly your phone's there. The second it loses your interest, go on the phone. Oh, what was that? Oh, I missed some of it. That is the reality of the modern generation. And I've been conditioned to not care as soon as I see that backdrop. Even if it's guys I like. I've come to hate that backdrop. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. Like when that's filling the screen. Oh, oh. Yeah. yeah. Shivani, even when Jericho does that, I just switch off because I just know MGF looked like a geek mm. in that dynamite, even though his promo was incredible, not just because he was interrupted, but because he was it's a geek. It's a geek conversion device. <laughs> That's what it is. So I don't want to see Renee pack out there. I'd like to think that at some point, her and all Marks is going to think, being wasted, do better with your booking and the way you format the shows. She needs to have her own area. That's how much of a special personality she is. That's how good she is at the craft. Her Gene Oakland adjacent area, even WWE itself in the Vince times, the end of the Vince times, did it for a couple of weeks. And it was great. Mm. And then they just stopped. They called it the Oakland position. Put that in AEW, a literal pedestal. You see a backdrop of fans, right? You get the live thing as well because people are uh, wrestling television watchers like live things. 
So you get like, all right, something's happening live. So that instantly thinks, makes something or something important is about to develop. And ultimately what I hate about AEW is this increasing dumbing down thing. And they can kill multiple birds with one stone here. If they erect and make an Oakland position, have Renee Packett, Packett, Packett there, make any interview feel like an event. Have multiple on the show, in fact. I don't need to see the person with whom the interview subject is feuding to remind me that they're in a feud because I'm not an idiot. <laughs> I'm not a goldfish. I have object permanence. I have memories. They could simply discuss what's pissing them off about their opponent. If you must, because it's wrestling, bit of exposition with a story beat and just say, I'll see you next week or answer me when you come out or something like that. And then when you do do an interruption, it might feel like a transgression. It might feel like someone's really trying to just get someone else's time and make it their own. Make it a spectacle. The amount of times I remember Oakland conducting an interview and it was just genuinely an angle in a moment and something that was worth listening to compared to AEW. Jack Tony era kicks its ass in this department. There's... I, I, mean, I agree wholeheartedly with all of that. There is almost, um, it's not quite overt, but there is a very implied pecking order to the interview thing. The point about MJF being backstage, when in the early days of AEW, and I guess he carried this on a bit longer actually, never in a billion years would Cody Rhodes be cutting a promo in front of that backdrop. Tony Schiavone would be there to yeah. introduce him by name and out he would come and here was his statement for the week or here was his whatever he was building at the time. Not every wrestler can or should take the ring. That... There, there is a rightfully implied, this person is in the main event. Mm. This person is a, a featured mm -hmm. performer right now. You've got to work to that. You've got to, wrestlers should be aspiring, not just to win titles, but to be getting that amount of spotlight. But the pedestal is a really nice middle ground. Like the Oakland position is a really good way to bring them out without saying, well, you can't have the ring yet. You're not getting allocated all the time you need in the middle of the ring and the show effectively. But here's something that's almost as good as that. Meanwhile, the geeks, as it were, being backstage, don't want to be geeks. So you want to work up to the point where you're being invited to the Oakland position with Rene Paquette. So that even, like, it's it's a bit like another way of using what would have previously been the rankings or would have previously been secondary titles where, well, this person's worthy enough of television time, but they can't have the ring. Moxley can have the ring. Cody previously could have the ring, whomever. But, like, that serves that purpose as well. Where me and Sidney were coming raised on the same diet of the way WWE would present those interviews. And that pedestal, some weeks, would present... Hogan, Warrior, whomever. But other weeks, it was just a mid-carder because they needed to shoot an angle or they needed to sell a match that was only happening on house shows anyway and they felt just as important on any given week. And I'm sure, Cedric, now you'll be picturing certain interviews in the back of your mind from that period. It's very... Um, Sherry doing things to Warrior that as a seven-year-old I probably shouldn't have been watching. <laughs> yeah. Um, the like the When WWE did do it, it would... Like, remember on the old school Raw when they gave Randy Orton one once. How much can you actually remember from mid-2000s, mid-2010s WWE? But yeah. I can remember that. Mm -hmm. Like, they, they AEW have the opportunity to make some moments and make people feel elevated as a result of it. Yeah, really. And she's awesome. She's a, like, broadcasting is, uh, I don't need to say this to you, because you're a polished one, like, keeping us, keeping our train on the tracks. Yeah, press button. She's a like really... Like this. Dinosaur making! <laughs> That's what Warrior <laughs> said to Sherry, I think. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it's like, she reminds you of what a skill it is. And I think it'd be like daft of AEW not to make more use of that. Uh, interesting question, just off the back of, of 
that that we just did there. Craig Williams says, how does the fact that you guys literally alter people's vocabulary and put random bits into their brains? Wrestling fans started using pansocial after Sidgwick started using it, like football fans using capitulated because of Alan Hansen. It's an honor, <laughs> an absolute honor that our stuff catches on. It's weird, isn't it? And I love it so much. It's probably my favorite part of the job. Like, um, I remember I grew up reading Power Slam magazine. It was my professional wrestling Bible. And I realized, you know what? I've ripped off Finn Martin's writing <laughs> style and then I developed my own voice deep into my what culture career. And the fact that I'm kind of having the same influence, like not, uh, you know, lick my own ass, <laughs> but that's incredible. I don't know how we do it. But it's <laughs> very cool that we do. Yeah, echo that. It's the nicest feeling. Forums were a period in like internet history where everybody cut the teeth, basically stealing the takes, the tones, and the voice of the people you respected the most. Finn Martin was, of course, one for me because Power Slam was such a big deal in the UK. Dave Meltzer was another. Um, because if you weren't reading The Observer, you were reading the websites that cribbed from The Observer and the writers that were. Dave Meltzer was such a tastemaker. So as a result, you would then see wrestling through like how he saw wrestling, basically. And you would develop a few takes of your own. But, yeah, it's quite remarkable. Great. Like, absolutely brilliant. But it'll never not be surprising to me that that's that this has happened. It is funny when I see people tweeting me saying, oh, I've got a massive... Whatever. Or there was the there was the bloke who tagged his little daughter doing a Kevin Patrick impression. Yeah. <laughs> but I still love the... I think our proudest achievement was probably... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. If at any point, you know, every now and then, we, we like to have a little joke that uh, sometimes things that get said in the podcast end up on television. If she drops an oh, my God, like cancel the rest of the podcast for all of us doing oh, my God's on loose. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I still remember also being uh, out with some friends in Liverpool someone just walking down the road and going and this was it wasn't our bit of patter but it was it's niche wrestling patter that people just go huh? what's all that about like huh? <laughs> walking down the road someone goes is a scouse and he went hey Wilborn a little bit of a bubbly <laughs> <laughs> and the lads were like what's all that about and I was like oh, it's going to take about 10 minutes to explain this it's not you, love. Um, right. <laughs> Thanks to Craig William for that. I'm not sure if I read your, your name. Thank you, right. Craig. Thanks Craig for that. Loyal gay. Good does, question. Just good work. Good week. Craig Stats. Good question here from Jovan, who says, with the departure of Vince, is there any scope for the conversation about a wrestler's union to restart? Yeah, don't get started on this. Or was the rise of Piss AW off. the last chance for this to happen? <laughs> P.S. A sincere thanks to this podcast for making me happy at any moment of the day. Completely unprompted. Cheers. Cheers to you, Jovan. I won't get on my soapbox. Let's, uh, so you get a hump. But no, do it, do but, no, but no, there is no chance for wrestlers union and more's a pity. Like, there should. There should be. There absolutely should be. More's a pity. Vincent Mann was never the problem. He was somebody that was able to take advantage of a problem that like even predated him. I know I understand why people see Vincent Mann as like year zero of pro wrestling. I do get it. But like this was a wrestling thing before him, and he was just somebody that was making sure to uh, ensure that his top stars wanted nothing to do with it and wrestling broke massive in the nineteen eighties. Um I, it's never gonna happen. It's uh, like it it pissed me off in 2019 when it wasn't part of AEW's remit. Like, obviously, the EVP's <coughs> got good deals. And uh, there was this idea, I think, to be fair to AEW, where because it was wrestler-driven, potentially more jobs might be available, like whether it be office or whether it be executive vice president, whatever it is, maybe this is the place where more things like that will be available to wrestlers. And that hasn't really shown itself. The Indies, look, and this extends to a lot of things. After speaking out, the Indies have just sort of come back. 
Like, there's still no regulatory body in that respect, and yeah. you worry that these things will all happen again. The Benoit family tragedy happened, and then you have drug testing for a bit, and then things happen again. And these things do come in cycles. Wrestling gets more dangerous, and then it gets scaled all the way back, and it's a loop. Unions, in every form of employment, would close a lot of these loops and make lives better for everybody. But all we've done as a society is go in the reverse of unions. So wrestling, that a lot of people, wrestlers are predisposed to hate them because you're encouraged to be in this, like, like ultra-capitalist rat race of being a pro wrestler that for an industry predisposed to hate them, you've got even less chance than standard workplaces. Mm. Like, in enjoying the benefits and the perks of unions, it's, I would love it, but it's utopia beyond utopia to think that there's ever going to be a wrestling union. Yeah, it's like CM Punk versus Kenny Omega pipe dream stuff, yeah. <laughs> except 1,000 times more unlikely, <laughs> even now. Yeah, A uh, great question here as well from Imperium. Uh, at EVT Imperium, underscore Imperium on Twitter. Has 2022 been the strongest year in the 21st century for wrestling as a whole? Much love to the, all the What Culture Wrestling crew. No, for me. In fact, I'm trying to draft a tweet saying the exact opposite. It, I'm glad that you're already enjoying it. And obviously, given the level of talent involved in the industry, look at the matches we've had so far this year. Anarchy in the Arena, Prime Creativity, unbelievable. MJF. Uh, so, yeah, MJF, Punk, mm-hmm. Dog Collar, Mox, Wheelie, uh, FTR, Young Bucks, too. There are literally too many to count. Kevin Owens versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's unbelievable. But 2022, honestly, despite how great it is, greatness having been normalized, which is a key point, um, the standard is slipping. The standard was stratospheric, and it was established in some of the favorite years of my fandom, at least when I was an adult. 2017 effectively started on January 4th with Omega Ricarda. Blew my mind. Absolutely blew my mind. And you had the thrilling sense of, hang on, if they expand, they can compete. This is too big. Too many people are talking about this. This is too good. There has to be something in this. As it happens, there was. And it was built on the back of that and the back of Jericho Omega, Alpha Omega, which was built on Omega Ricarda. And... NXT was still great. WWE was WWE. If you're a WWE fan, yes, Mm. the answer to this question, but I'm not particularly, so for me it's no, but that's different. I can imagine if you're a WWE fan and you love it, you must be overjoyed by what's going on in that promotion, so I don't want to lose sight of that. But from 2017 to February 2020, all I could think was everything I love about professional wrestling is either coming back or being transcended. Match quality's always existed, Omega's just completely shattered it. Promos have been terrible for most of the 21st century. AEW's coming back. There's been no options for the guys to go, so they're trapped in usual terrible uh, personas in WWE. And you just have to like... It's bittersweet, but if you like the guy, you're going to have to like the new character or the neutered character. John Mox is in the G1, and it's the best thing ever. 2019 was my favorite year. New Japan hadn't... It was fading, but Moxley was just amazing there. The G1 2019 was incredible. The Ibushi-White final was unbelievable. You had AEW forming, which was just unbelievable. NXT season finale. You had the NXT season finale. New York completed it, didn't it? Yeah. Takeover's completed. That's done. Even in WWE, Planet's Champion Daniel Bryan was one of my favorite things ever. I put... Planet Champion Daniel Bryan, just below my absolute favorite AEW things, which for WWE is a remarkable achievement. What I'm getting at was, and then the summer of 2021 had the same vibes where this is amazing and holy, it can only get better. 
that feeling for me with wrestling in 2022 has gone. I feel like it's peaked. I don't think it's entering a dark age. But I've always loved one promotion in my wrestling fandom, right? WWE, WCW, ECW, maybe even retrospectively at times. WWE 2000, that oh, sucks. I'll go to Ring of Honor, that's great. Um, oh, that's kind of winding me up a bit now. Oh, NXT with Triple H, that's great. New Japan, then AEW, and now I don't think... And I know people really like WWE. I still think it could be way better. Look at the budget. It's the resources. I don't think a single wrestling promotion, and there's some great stuff in Japan that I always think is bittersweet because of clap crowds, but I don't think there's a single wrestling promotion operating at the peak of its powers in 2022, and I can't think of the last year that that wasn't the case, and it really bums me out. Mm. Yeah, I don't totally disagree with that, I, especially because it is really easy to partition them off one after another and, and see that. You know, if you can find a promotion that was operating better at some point, none of them are hitting that right now. 2022, though, I like I, I like looking at these things in, like, very broad brush because I am a WWE lifer and I need things broad and painted in big high letters. I don't think it's the best year. I think we've had some incredible matches, but not the best matches. But I will. 2022 will be very meaningful as the years go by. The history's it's most interesting, yeah. Well, I feel like this mm. year has been defined by, like, for good and bad, consequences of actions... And consequences are fascinating to see play out. Consequences need to occur. Of course, the obvious one is Vincent Mann. The consequences of Vincent Mann's actions we are now seeing play out in a million different ways, as was always destined to happen if he was ever going to suffer consequences. Tony Khan is kind of suffering the consequences of his action in terms of roster blow, in terms of AEW losing its creative verve a little bit, and it's hard to work out what that product's voice is at the moment, and that was kind of inevitable, really. Like, yeah, you didn't want to see the writing on the wall, but it was there. Um, in New Japan... They have lost and may never regain a certain, uh, I don't know, a certain passion in, and I can only really speak for myself, I suppose, but a certain passion in fans that were converted to that product through the quality of its booking before being completely burnt out on it. New Japan are still suffering that now, despite the fact that, you know, you hear There's still of, greatness in it. Yeah, like good matches, good angles. Uh, impact will never recover. And yet this year, it's been the closest it's ever achieved to consistent critical acclaim. It's not just one pay-per-view in a sea of nonsense. Like, all the time, somebody, and there might just be a really quiet voice, but somebody is telling you that the impact is a promotion to watch, but nobody will ever believe it. Nobody will ever buy it because of the damage that's already been done. Uh, Cody Rhodes showing you that, we, like, the consequence of AEW existing was, and, like, I argued this with the elite, and I know me and Sidgwick disagreed, but the consequence of AEW existing was ultimately always going to lead to this fluidity between the companies again. Mm -hmm. It's going to lead to people jumping ship in the most shocking of fashion, and Cody is that guy currently. Um, and I just think that's what 2022 has given us. And as a result, 2023, maybe not because every year we said this, and then wrestling just tops itself again and again and again. But maybe 2023 will feel a bit more lower key. But we will see, like a, a Triple H WrestleMania probably won't rely on the insanity that Vince McMahon had to spend big on to make good. Mm. We might just get programs and it'll be like banger after banger. Did that work? Yes. Did that? Yeah. Did that work? No. Uh, AW feels more uncertain because Tony Khan has like lessons to learn, and it's like, well, will he learn them? Like he's not got. Buzz as much, the critical claim the market's mm. gone. The market's gone so off, so that now we've got like objective evidence to suggest do this or do that instead. So 2023, I think, will be different. But uh, yeah, I do think 2022 will be one of the more significant. Yeah, it'll be more significant than 2021. And yet, AW was 
Incredible. All-time pick your favourite era of any promotion, and it was right there. Can you write a book about it? I did, actually. (laughs) Um, It's about the formation and, indeed, rise of AEW called Becoming All Elite, the rise of AEW. 120,000 passionate and insightful words available on Amazon wherever you live. I forgot a consequence of an action, sorry. Um, Everything that's happening in AEW, because Hangman Page ran his goddamn mouth. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. 
just went, well, WWE's going to get great because if there's one thing Vincent Man loves, it's competition. It's like that was 20, 30 years ago. And the, I knew that was bollocks. The narrative has and they hot shot stuff yeah, so much more. The narrative has completely changed. Like, it's like, what Vince will do is continue turning his product into TikTok because it's made him billions of dollars. <laughs> He's not, like, the motivations have all changed. Yeah. And that, to me, is a bit, it's a bit basic, but I don't want to, Swerve might be speaking with a deep knowledge of a conversation them two have had over dinner, for all yeah. I know. But it just sounds a little bit too easy for me, that. But yeah, two-party, what do you make of that question? Do you think he's in over his head, actually, as well? That was the other part of the question I wanted to ask. Because for me, my issue was arguably less the uh, the uh, post-all-out fight and stuff like that. And the fact that it happened, not to the same extent, but the fact it happened again with with, with Sammy and Andrade. And, and before, like, with Sammy and How have you not learned from that? How have you not cut that off of the past and said, at the bare minimum, right, whoever you are, Pat Buck or wherever it is, you child mind him and you, another one, child mind him and make sure these two do not meet tonight because it was just preposterous what happened the other week. Jamie Hater chasing Thunder Rosa into the toilet sounds like Benny Hill compared to what happened like three weeks later. Yeah. It? Remember that and it, like, the way that story was trekked compared to what ultimately happened because nobody mm. like put a stop sign up and said, wait a second. Do you think he's in over his head? At this point, yes. I think that he's made the same mistake as every pro wrestling booker makes, devaluing titles, um, just leaning into his own tropes, starting to refuse to listen to really widespread <laughs> criticism. And I just think he's got this quality ingrained within him, the pacing of the shows, where he just has spoiled the audience with his excesses and he is in over in his head in over his head because ultimately like people have tried to tell him every step of the way don't do this try not to do this oh please listen he used to listen to the pro wrestling fan community please don't do this and again it's just he's too impulsive a guy this is a great idea this is a great idea this is a great idea does it fit on all the show yes 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 no, it doesn't actually in the I end. understand it so everyone understands it are you ready for something pretentious that barely works as an analogy from you <laughs> right, okay. Here we go. So the media theorist and cultural critic Neil Postman developed <laughs> developed a concept, the name of which you'll be familiar, at least Adam Wilborn in particular, called the information action ratio. Right. You know, that was used by Alex Turner in 4 Out of 5, mm -hmm. where the basic gist of his is that with the invention of the telegram and subsequently the, the news and the internet, is that we as a Western society experienced pretty intense psychic damage because we've learned of so much information about which we can do nothing. Mm. So all this horrible information that you feel powerless about but really gutted about, just this overload and it's kind of broken us all. Um, if you apply that very clumsily to the context of AEW, Tony Khan's information action ratio that he expects of this fandom is completely out of whack. Here's Keith Lee. He's he's uncle. <laughs> he's the main eventers. They're just mid-carders in front of the dynamite logo now. And there's MGF and there's CM Punk and there's Hangman Page. And I must sign all of them. And he has ROH stuff. And he has a title, he has a title, he has a title, he has a title, he has a title. And I have used the analogy myself, media critic Michael Sidgwick, <laughs> of Spotify Premium. Yeah, yeah, it's just, a perfect yeah. comparison, I think. And just there's just too much. There is just too much to absorb. And very little can resonate as well as it could if there was more discipline. And I think he is in over his head because he has this capacity mm. to just part of his personality, I guess, to focus on a million different things at once. He's got four jobs. I couldn't do one of his jobs. And I think he expects that of his audience because his information action ratio is completely and utterly so much more intense than ours. And he just doesn't 
forget that we can't keep up with him. He just will never get this. Mm. It, like, for completely different reasons, he's closer to Vince than he'd want to believe because Vince doesn't have that in terms of information, but he certainly did in terms of his day. The guy needed two hours kip because he was onto that and onto that and onto that and onto that. That's not the way you can... It's not live. relatable. That's that's not relatable. No. That's, that's how you detach yourself <coughs> from the people, like the the type of reality that your, your fans want to see, your customers want to watch. And despite the fact he's got four jobs with Fulham and Jacksonville Jaguars and all that, he you know lives AEW, understandably, but even the biggest fans of AEW don't live it. So saying, remember this thing that happened four weeks ago? And you go, uh, vaguely. And he goes, yeah, you do. So anyway, this immediately <laughs> falls on for that. And you're like, can we just have a quick recap? Like, when I get back into playing a computer game, I go, what the f*** was going on? And it's been like, you know, a few days or whatever. I, I can't, you know, people have busy lives and a lot going on. Because of internet, people will say, I want video packages. No, I just want a lovely sweet in-between. Mm, where the yeah. twain shall meet. Um, but uh, polar opposite of this uh, comes from, you'll like this, uh, Matt Reigns on Twitter. Who? Uh, Lovely guy. One of the best guys. He says, hi, oh, Matt Reigns here, the number one mega fan. On the mute list or something, I don't know. Uh, I asked you, gents, uh, what your favourite moment in three years of Dynamite was, but if I was trying to get a friend back into wrestling, Sige, what moments or matches should I show them from the past three years that epitomise AEW? Right. Don't get... A new person into wrestling for a start. <laughs> I know that's not the question. I've told the story about, like, I tried to show James and my wife the Sting party match from Forbidden Door, and she, my wife was literally pissing herself. Oh, look at them going, ooh, and she finds it so comical. You get it or you don't, don't you? You don't mean to be cruel to people, but it is just yeah. as binary as that. The sequel to that anecdote, right? And I'm thinking, this is so great. It's Powerhouse Hobbs versus Ricky Starks, uh, Rampage Grand Slam, and they are telling a better story um, in a transition, brawling up the ring, like Ricky Starks just leaping up with his whole body to try and punch Powerhouse Hobbs, who just eats it. The amount of times I see a brawl up the ramp and it's just, yeah, punch, 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 yeah. do apathetically because we need to get there. I thought that was one of the best getting to a different part of the arena sequences yeah. ever. And she was laughing at Ricky Starks. What? Mm. My wife in that moment didn't Where even fancy that? Ricky Starks. How <laughs> dare you? Because she thought, where's he in Hobbs, by the way? Information action ratio. It's just ridiculous. But to just don't people just don't like wrestling if they don't like it. Back into wrestling. Um The Hangman Page John Moxley Pro. Just two incredible talents, saying things you can believe in, setting up a story that you don't need to be spoon fed, but you can infer because it's all in the beautiful language and the great delivery. And the, the real lack of toxic masculinity. That's maybe what put them off. Maybe the thought was cartoonish. This is, the, at its best, AEW. And I think that was the last thing I can recall that epitomized the old ideals of that promotion is everything you loved about wrestling, but not toxic. Thanks, Phil, for ruining that. <laughs> yeah, the uh, I forget the name of the guy that asked the question, but it must be absolutely thick as pig shit because, like, <laughs> it was actually presented to him on the television show that he allegedly watches. The answer to every question is John Moxley. Right, and not just the Hangman Page promo, but a moment, a feud, a match might be a tricky sell because you like you could be coming into something cold. Even if you think you've given them the necessary video package, you never quite know. Like there might be a question they ask, and you're like, ah, I should have provided that detail. I should have provided that like further reading. Whereas a John Moxley promo is like almost better than showing them a match or a moment because he's selling you something. So if you show them a promo and they're like, well. He's this awesome baby face, and he's got that belt slung over his shoulder. So who's he fighting? Like, well, everything he just spoke about is setting up this match. Do you want to watch it? 
he's given you a pretty good sales pitch on it. If they're interested in that, then they'll probably watch the match and mm. they've immediately got an investment in Moxley. And that dates back since AW like was born because from the first few weeks of Dynamite, like if you think about the uh, week when he knocked on Tony Khan's door and the camera followed him into the building, he was absolutely, he was raging, wasn't he? Because the Kenny match wasn't going to count towards his ranking. Crap, that sentence needs to return to AW, but like he was absolutely raging that the match wasn't going to count. That would probably do it. It's like, oh, what became of that? Well, do you want to see the match? I right, go on, then yeah, stick that on. And then straight away, you're back invested in whatever happened next to John Moxley, and, and on it goes. He is he is always, always the answer. Well, I like the idea of, as well as that, just to show raw passion and like, you think it's this, you think it's, oh, my body back hurts a bit. And I don't want to go to the extreme because the danger is she you can't bring them back when they that. sell. She <laughs>, laughs when they sell. Thunder Rosa and, uh, was it Thunder Rosa beat Britt Baker for the title? Yeah. The, yeah. In that the cage? One. Yeah. Mm. Show them that. You can't, you're not going to fail to be impressed by something like that. Right, a bit of a speed round now. We'll do a bit of a lightning round with some final questions here. Good Tom, luck with us. Tom Weston, what is something that was hated slash disliked by most people that you secretly liked or enjoyed? Mine, obviously, is one final beat. What about you two? Luke Gallows in AEW. <laughs> earnestly. Kevin Nash, 1998 to 2014-ish, something like that. I loved him. I got him. I understood him. I knew why he was, how he was, internet. Loathed him. The, think about the punk program, WTFLOL. I thought he were dead. That felt like absolutely mainlining. It was a certain subsection of the wrestling audience that thought like Kevin Nash was an absolute blood sucking leech because, God damn it, Vince McMahon's coffers are the most important thing in this business. It's like, nah, it's really funny. Right now, for me, Dominic Mysterio. What's not to like about him? Everybody else gets him now, so you're all living right. His, right <laughs> living his best life. Oh my God. <laughs> Does it for me? Doesn't that do it for you? Uh, Kevin says, will the free-flowing roster in WWE stop once Triple H has signed some more wrestlers? He needs to stop lest he, right now, come in for the exact same criticism Tony Khan did and suffer the consequences of it. Within, like, a far shorter amount of time. Yep. Uh, everybody has seen it play out in AEW, so he won't, like, he, it's, it's happening already. Gallows and Anderson felt like it was cool for the moment, but, like, realistically, what are Gallows and Anderson going to give you? That was precisely the problem in AEW with the cool debuts and the no follow-through. So he's probably at that point now. Stop now. I'm already thinking, where was Kevin Owens last? Yeah. yeah. There's a, and this is not about the specific wrestlers that I'm just about to name check, but it was just a personification of this. The other day, Andy Murray gave me the news story of, like, Triple H still interested in signing more free agents. And I was like, oh... Oh my, oh my God, In the, not the, we need a bad version of that, basically. We do, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh, right. Get Phil to fiend it up. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is a story about Mia Yim. Oh, and Matt Taven and some other ROH guys and a few of other people. And I was just like, wait, there's like five people in this one story and that you've already mm. got, like you say, Gal. And I'm not, we're never going to see it. It's funny when say, it happens, though. If they mm. say the same thing. They're, yeah. they're, they're Vincels, the Fed pilled. Uh, do you, uh, sorry, Cool Link Seven says, do you think the Rumble would be the, would be the best? Would be the perfect time to debut NXT wrestlers on the main roster or after WrestleMania? And who do you think is main roster ready? Um, we kind of say this most weeks on two uh, on NXT review. Oh, don't like people who are main roster ready are the really talented work rate guys who've been involved in wrestling for years and years and years. Dragonov, Mello. Uh, I don't know. They need baby faces, I think. Breaker. It's an obvious choice. Um, I don't want to do the night after WrestleMania, but yep. well, the thing I hate about it's not it... It's gone now, isn't it? Well, it was just... It was so lazy. It was they knew they had like 10,000 or so fans who love wrestling enough to travel to see it. They are therefore most likely to know who a... Who's a WrestleMania... Enzo and Cass. Enzo and Monster Cass Monster Pop. Right. Oh, 
they're over. All right, okay, that's good because everyone in Alabama and Wichita and all these other mm. places that you know aren't necessarily considered hotbeds of quote unquote smart wrestling fans. Baton they, Rouge, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. <laughs> they will infer from the reaction they got that they're stars. Done. Yeah. No, it isn't. You haven't done any work. You haven't done any yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. I think it feeds laziness with pushes to do it the night after WrestleMania, and I would like it to not happen. Uh, it do one because fans do like it, and I'm being pin- finicky, but don't rely on it. Yeah, it didn't work. That's what needs to be, like. That's the main thing is that it did not work as a call up thing. It was this. There was this real routine mundanity about. Well, here come the six call ups, and NXT's got a refill. Like it was fine in NXT. Triple H just refilled the stock on the main roster. Just more people went to die. So call people up when it makes sense. Have somebody come down to NXT with <laughs> Bron Breaker to work a program, and that be the thing that organically drags Bron Breaker at the main roster. You benefit NXT, and you give a bit of a cleaner break between the two sides. Abandon the call up thing as we know it and make a, make a new way of doing it that might actually function. I was going to say, don't do it at the Rumble because sometimes someone will, someone's musical hit and then the crowd will go, because huh? they won't know the theme, but that was the problem at this year's Rumble. So maybe the bigger issue here is give people recognisable themes again. In Get WWE. people over. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was just like this year's Rumble was, both of them were rubbish, kind of. I was it's, Even the, the copium of us doing, the, I think we did the stream for it, mm. or I can't remember exactly, but I remember going, Someone's off here. And then I realized, oh, watching it back. Oh, it's because themes hit. Yeah, it was because I was doing the stream. Because even I was going, it'd be like, three, two, one. Uh, please show the tr- trunk because I have no idea what this theme is. Oh, it's so-and-so. It's, it was the just... rumble was so lame. I would be willing to believe that Shane McMahon only talked his way into the match halfway through as a shoot to get that number two. It was like, nobody's popping at themes. You know what they need? Here comes the money. Here comes the money. <laughs> Uh, final couple of questions here. Jacob Mendros asks, please rank who can drink the most in the what culture office? At Hamlet, least Hamlet number one. <laughs> top, he said at least top five. Right. Miller's out, obviously. Oh, yeah, Miller doesn't drink. Does he? he doesn't drink. I think I'm a lightweight. I think I'm out. It's not big or clever, by the way. No, no, no. It's, it's cool not to drink. I be. have once carried, and then if you look at the, uh, the size discrepancy here, I've once carried Hamlet back to a hotel room <laughs> when I think we had a similar amount to drink. Yeah, yeah I think I think your low-key co- your you cocktails and yeah. stuff that you have at the weekend, I think you've got a decent base level. Oh, uh, yeah, it took me a while to discover the base level, I will say this, but I think I've got it now. I will still put a Hamlet for the Herculean volume of pints at one Exclusively Cleary get, binge drinking. Cleary can put them away. Cleary can put them away, and he's out a lot as well. Um, <laughs> Josh Brown can go. He's got youth, he? he's yeah. got youth on his side as well. Can yeah. he yeah. go? Yeah, like he can go seven or eight in a session, and you still feel like you're holding a conversation with him. Murray uh, went out to watch Death Heaven with Andy Murray a couple of weeks ago, and I couldn't notice. If he hadn't said anything, I would not have noticed, but he dropped a bit of his drink. And said, oh, I shouldn't have had that Jakehead, which is a Wyland Brewery 6.3 <sighs> wreck the hoose juice that I, I won't touch it. But he can put them away. He's a big beer guy. But I didn't notice there was literally anything wrong with him. Yeah. Honorable mention to Andrew Pollard as well. Yes. Aye. He's a, he's a Got to meet him once, IRL, four pints, actually. Lovely guy. guy to well, put well, I tell you what, remind me this. We'll do a, a, a question you want most once answered after the What Culture Christmas party this year. Maybe we'll update that list. Yeah. Friday after a Thursday. Oh, something. mate. Oh my God. Final question. Great question. This from Jay Finley. When they were kids, I assume he's talking about you two here. Uh, what gimmicks did you imagine yourselves having when you grew up to be pro wrestlers? Jay says, I remember when I was at nine or 10 wanting a tree gimmick. 
I'd wrap my arms <laughs> in branches. <laughs> That's incredible. That's, That's great. Incredible. I remember <laughs> thinking, just for me, just like super the coolest of cool. Right, I loved The Rock. Obviously, growing up, my character that created in like SmackDown wore a bandana, sunglasses, and camo trousers, and could do a backflip as part of his taunt. And uh, I was like, that's it. And I remember thinking uh, my gimmick would basically be kill my opponent. So, like, not actually kill my opponent, but they'd face me, obviously lose, and then they'd never wrestle again. That was going to be my gimmick. So, basically, the fiend. Uh, I've told the story before. Bandana wearing fiend. <laughs> I've told the story before. I will, therefore, keep it very brief. But because I was inundated, right, with American media, as most people of my age in the UK were, with the advent of Sky TV, Saved by the Bell, um... Beverly Hills 90210, various movies. I just thought, like, American names are cool. <laughs> Seth. I thought Seth was the coolest. Seth. What's, what's the coolest, like? Seth the Viper. I just wanted to be, I like, it. I just wanted to be Randy Orton, but called Seth. Randy Orton, but Rollins. But I was like, what do I think is cool? So it was Seth the Viper. I was like, 11, give us a break. It's like, who looks cool, but I don't like, but I'll take it from him because he's got this. I like Mer- M- Mark Merrow's gear in the Fed. 1998 Mark Merrow gear with the boxing shorts with, like, the um, Raven wrist tape at the time it was. Set the vape I've also told this story before, but um, in, and what a week to retell this story, by the way, but just I remain the same hack kid I was, obsessed with wordplay. So it was Mike Hock, H-O-C-K, so you could say things like, Mike Hock is taking a beating Oh, look at my cock out there. And what a week to remind us of that story. Time to suck my cock. Time to suck, comma, my cock. Yes. That would be what the Hill commentator would say. But also, but also, I was and am so incredibly soft that I never once wanted to be a wrestler when I was a kid. My cock soft. I, my cock soft. I wanted to write about wrestling. And do you know why? Because I was absolutely addicted to the WWE and Raw magazines. So... Vince Russo, I guess. Oh. But the point of all this is saying my cack on a podcast and writing about wrestling. Don't sing my cack. Chase your dreams. Indeed. Like, <laughs> and I've got your entrance theme right here. Because they were in everything. Sing my cack. <laughs> I thought Seth the Viper and my cock. There you go. If you, want to, if you want to want to mock up some images for that, we much appreciate it. No, don't mock up images. No, 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 that's fine. That's fine. Be obscene. Thank you to everyone though who submitted questions. Sorry if we didn't get to yours. We will do these again because I love doing these. At What Culture WWE on Twitter. Well, actually, you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamlet at. Michael Hamlet. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at. M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilbur. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, uh, for daily wrestling podcasts where you can check out our Dynamite review right now. But for now, this has been your wrestling questions answered. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.